you would bow with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for the ability to look at it today and see the truths in it and what you have for us to to see and understand. Pray, Lord, that we would um, receive it as the word of God and not just words of men. And we pray by your spirit's power that we would love and treasure what you have said to us and live in light of it and stay awake. In Christ's name, amen. So, um, sobriety is a big thing in the, in the uh, church uh, for us. We, we think that's important to live a sober life. It is hard to um, at times do that because all of us get busy. You get busy, I get busy. And we, um, maybe we're saying like, well, I'm not drinking too much. But you might be saying, yeah, but is there a different, I think you, as a Christian, you're saying like, is there something else that you're drunk on? Because that is always a struggle. I mean, it could just be like we talked about in the prayer of confession. It could be the season that we're in. Like you could just be so enamored by it, so caught up in it, that you don't see, that you don't understand what's going on in the world, and you're not thinking about spiritual things. We want to stay awake, so we have to prepare. Part of our preparation is coming today, uh, and it might be hard for you to focus. Sometimes, I've told you many times, Anna says, like, it's hard to focus at the season of life that our family's in. It's hard to focus. It's hard to be uh, sober-minded when you're, when you're doing all those things. But part of coming to church is, is trying to be sober about things that matter, now, that's why this church, there's a level of sobriety. We're not getting up here and uh, saying like, hey, let's entertain you, and you can laugh, and everybody can go out and be like, that was a funny story. And, you know, we're not doing all that because we're saying there might be something that you find funny, but at the heart of it is not, this is not an entertainment place. This is a place to prepare you. Uh, that, that's what we do. We do that same thing with your kids during a 9.30 hour. Like, we're about preparation. Everything for us is leading somewhere. And it, the pathway that we're on is like to lead to uh, heaven. We want people to know Christ and to live for Him. And so um, preparation is a big deal, and it's a big deal in this text. Uh, you, you don't want to be... Some, well, I, I'll just say this. Some people get really afraid of what's going on in the world, and you know what they do? They kind of like bury down like they hide into the, in the ground in a way. So that's a form of sleeping, I'm just going to bury myself into the ground somewhere, and I don't, I'm not going to pop my head out. I mean, the world's crazy, and I'm just going to go hide from it. That's one way of sleeping, I would say. Another one is, is maybe if you are, uh, have a tendency to uh, sleep because you're so enamored by the world. You know, uh, Last Christmas, we, uh, and I just had some other friends, they went to New York City. Anna and I went there last Christmas, around the Christmas season, and you go there, and it's, uh, you're just in awe of all the things there. I mean, there, there, there are beautiful things and exciting things and shocking things there. Uh, we went by, I think, the Lego store, and I'm taking pictures of Legos that like, are built like cars and sitting in them, and the boys are like, what? It was the whole size of a car? You know, and you're just like, there's things like that that kind of like are not frightening to you, but kind of could entice you. And so, uh, and it might just be the way that you do that is like, Again, just being involved in the normal things. You could just be on your phone all day and be amazed and caught up in what you're, you know, what's going on around you. And so we have to say we're going to try to stay awake. 
we want to be alert and we want to be prepared. Now, here's the thing. Um, there are a bunch of things that we could talk about in this passage. If we read all the way through it on purpose, but I mean, that's a lot, right? We, we keep saying that. We could be in Mark for three or four years or we could do it in a reasonable amount of time. And doing it in a more reasonable amount of time means that we move kind of quickly. But here's the thing. I'm going to preach a sermon on uh, Mark in this passage on Mark in January. And I'm going to preach a sermon on it today. Today, we're going to, I'm going to tell you what we're going to be looking at. But uh, you, today, we're going to talk more about how Mark bridges chapters 11 through 13 and 14 and 15 together by giving us chapter 13. So that's just what... She needs to say, like, he's not going to answer all my questions. There's all these things that I want to talk about. You don't understand. Like, tell me what's the answer. You know, today's going to be helping you think about the text and how it bridges the two together. And that will be helpful for you because there's the, all this fulfillment going on. Jesus has been to the temple three times. There's this fulfillment language from Malachi 3, Zechariah 9. All that stuff is going on, the whole idea of, uh, Jesus giving the parable about the fig tree. I mean, we've kind of been thinking about that. So we've been thinking about the temple and, and the destruction of it, and Jesus has been talking about all those things, and the leaders are angry with him, and they're tired of him talking about the temple going away and them going away. And so that's what has been taking place, and that's kind of where we are. Um, Jesus ends his confrontations with them, and they're kind of speechless. And so now the time that they're going to meet together in the future is going to be his death. So you just kind of have to remember that. Um, they really, at the end of that, you see, you see true devotion is not found in the religious leaders and that temple system, but someone humbly offering their life back to God. You know, And that's what we saw in the, 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 the poor widow. So chapter 13, again, is a bridge. You've got to, this morning, tell yourself, we are walking across a bridge that is connecting Chapters 11 through 13 about all that temple visits, all those temple visits, and chapters 14 and 15. So let's look at something real quick. Four movements in this text. One is the total destruction of the temple in verse 1 and 2. The next one is the disciples say, well, what are the times? Like, how do we know when this is going to take place? So 13, 3 through 27 deals with timing. 28 through 31, you return to the fig tree, and he says, hey, when they, they turn green and everything's right, you know, summer's here. And then the last part the final, is a final warning. It says, like in 32 through 37, stay awake, stay awake. Now, for your help, because I'm going to have to help you kind of put this together for a moment, again, you're thinking about the temple. We've been talking about the temple. We've already been doing that. Uh, the signs of the times, the troubling things, Jesus has been doing that with the disciples, if you read John and stuff like that, but it's there. We've already talked about the fig tree. Again, that's there. And then uh, this idea of staying awake, you're going to see that on display in chapters 14 and 15 with the disciples. They're going to struggle with that. So, okay, so here we go. You ready? I'll give you one more thing to think about. Some people read this passage, and immediately they put on what one guy calls lenses. They'll put these lenses on. And I actually was talking to Eric McCall earlier. I don't play golf, but uh, there are these new kind of glasses. But there were these old sunglasses from Oakley that you could put on. And the way that they worked was to allow you to see the contrast on the greens so that you would know when you hit the ball kind of which way that everything was kind of, I guess the grass was cut, so that you would kind of know, oh, yeah, I can put that in and, you know, 
I can put it in the hole or whatever. We're putting a lens on. Lens one is going to be, in the future, will be like thinking about the future. Like, some people would say, you know what? When I read Mark 13, it's all about uh, the end of the end times. Some people read it and be like, they put a historical lens on and say, that's all about the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Okay? And then there's this third way to look, which you may not have looked at before, is put on this immediate lens. How does Mark connect 11 and 12 with 14 and 15? That's the bridge. And that's what you're going to see. And I think it's going to be good for you to see. And we'll talk about how helpful it is. Now you say, all right, that's cool. We're going to talk about this kind of stuff. And, we, and I would just say that that immediate lens is a type of fulfillment that happens immediately that they can see. It's not all of it. It's just a type. And you say, Jared, what's the application this morning? Stay awake. Stay awake. The disciples struggle with staying awake. They're almost like a negative example. Don't do what they did. Stay awake. So that's what's going on. Okay? That helpful? This is good stuff. It's just a lot of stuff, so we're going to not read every verse and all that stuff. We'll come back and look at it again, but this is really, really helpful. So we want to be watchful and assured, like in the midst of our watchfulness, not afraid, but, but assured of God's presence and his working in our life. So that's, let's get started. So we're thinking about being watchful and being assured, and we start and just say, look, the temple will be destroyed. That's what you see in verses 1 and 2. And this is what you want to say is they're struggling with that. It was the most beautiful building in all of Israel. You know, I mean, it was unbelievably beautiful. As we talked about, it was 35 acres of stuff, and then other things extended out from it. It's massive in height and beauty and splendor. It took years and years to build, and they're still building on it at this time. It's this structure that you would think, like, this took so much. It's so magnificent. Like, how could any thing ever touch this. I mean, it's so amazing. Nobody's going to ever mess with this building. They're enamored by it, and they see it, and they're like, uh, look how beautiful that is. They've heard Jesus say, it's, it's done, but they're still caught up in the, the beauty of the structure. Um, here's something funny. It's kind of like if somebody went to a really beautiful church, um, and they were just so caught up in how beautiful the church was, that even if the one that it was supposed to be worship, you know, the worship was there was supposed to be centered around Jesus, even if he came and said, there's nothing going on there, it's dead. They would be like, but it's so beautiful. You know, which we can do that. We can struggle with that. And so he's going to say to them, look, it may be sparkling on the outside, just like the, the religious leaders of that time, but on the inside, it is dead. And it's going to be dead. And it's condemned. And I've already cursed it. Walked in there and said, this is done. I've, I've done that. This is over. And so that is kind of the thing that they have to see. And they're, they're struggling with that. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit further. But he also said that about his body, which is a little interesting tidbit that you need to keep in mind. What did he say? He said, destroy this temple. And in three days, it'll raise up you. And you're like, they didn't know till later. Wait, he was talking about his body. The temple of the, the presence of God. Jesus was the presence of God there. So we see the temple destroyed. Then there's these signs of the times. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple so that you could kind of see out there and see, they're saying like, hey, when is all this going to be accomplished? And this is what he says. 
By the way, um, do people like to, do, to talk about when this is all going to be accomplished? Did y'all know like in church history, like in the 1850s, there was this huge deal. A group of people came over and like, nobody's thinking about the end. And so they begin to have all these prophetic kind of conferences and, and revivals and be like, the end's coming, the end's coming. You know, and then it kind of spurred people on in many other ways. But look at verses 5 through 7, or really through 8. He says to them, the end is, is not yet. Even when you see all these false Christs, which was going on in the first century, it happened before Jesus even came on the scenes. People were talking about, oh, the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah. That, that stuff was going on around uh, the time of Jesus. And so there, there are people that are going to be saying that. Uh, there's also going to be wars and rumors of wars and do not be alarmed. So there are going to be wars going on. There were wars going on all around that time period, you know, and all the time periods after that, you would say. That's a general thing. Uh, that those are general struggles in a falling world. People don't get along. I mean, that's kind of one of the things you would say. So that's, that's taking place. The end is not yet, meaning like just because you see all those things going on, those just go on in every period of history, and we can kind of make notes in that and find that out. Verse 8, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there will be earthquakes. So another thing will be like natural disasters will be present in this world. I mean, I think that's important to say. We're going to see that. And he says these are all birth pains. These are like uh, signs of the uh, future. It's almost like if you were to read, you probably read this week in the study guide, like the whole of creation is yearning, yearning for the coming of the, uh, the people of God to be transformed, for Jesus coming, his return, and all of those things. So we see these struggles. Uh, we see these universal struggles. And then there are specific struggles. And those specific struggles are this. The disciples... And, by the way, we're going to talk about this, but Jesus and the disciples will stand before councils and synagogues, governors and kings. And that's something just to, when you're looking at it and you're thinking about it, you say, well, that, that's, that's something that happened. And we see that both in chapter 14 and 15, but we also see that in the book of Acts. And you see people struggling with that. And that's not, there's still people struggling in those ways today. And there are family struggles and strifes strife if you follow Jesus I mean those are part of living in this world I mean those things don't go away and for the gospel's sake those things have taken place it took place as we're about to see you know a little bit in 14 and 15 you'll see it through the book of Acts and then you can read uh, Fox's book of martyrs and you will see those things so those things are a part of the things that will happen when you get to the abomination of desolation here uh, that, in verses 14 through 23, um, begins to, to make people strongly be drawn to uh, uh, the temple in AD 70 and all of those things, uh, for sure. Uh, some people will see that, like I said, at the end of the end, you know, and some people will say, no, that happened in AD 70. But um, I think it is important just to say, again, when we're thinking about Jesus' body in the immediate lens that we're looking at today, there is, there's something that goes on there, and we'll, we'll, like I say, we'll address that here in a minute. So you're, you're looking at all those things. And again, we're just making a big stroke. with our, our, We're marking this out and saying, look at the big picture, and look at the Gospel of Mark, and you're going to bridge 11, through 13, or 11 and 12 by using 13 to see 14 and 15, and it pulls that stuff together. So we continue. And then in 24 to 27, um, there is this language of after this time of tribulation, there is uh, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not. Now, what's this, what is the tribulation like? 
uh, well, all of these natural disasters, but also all the sufferings that one who follows Christ will endure, those times of tribulation, once those happen, then the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the heavens, and the power of heaven will be shaken. So you'll have earthquake, and the lights will almost go out on the earth, and there's all of this on display, and then you'll see the Son of Man coming uh, with great power and glory. So you say, okay, all right, so we followed that along, and we understand. We are to be watchful and assured. One, the temple will be destroyed. Something new is emerging. It's, there's something coming that's going to be new. That is a greater temple. A, a, a greater temple is coming is what I would, the way I present it. There are going to be troubles. There's going to be troubles uh, not only for uh, just because there's troubles in a fallen world, but there will be tr troubles for the people of God. And then we get to the fig tree here. And um, there's things that we see this where he says, you'll know that summer is near uh, with the fig tree when you see the green leaves and that kind of thing. And you'll know it's like the coming is taking place and this generation will not pass away until they've seen it. And like you can be sure that it will happen. That's kind of what he says here. And uh, you might be asking yourself, man, if this is about like some present uh, type of fulfillment, like how does this work? Because the disciples don't live that long. Uh, they don't live to, probably most don't, will not live to even AD 70 or whatever. You know, there's things that you might be asking yourself. Okay, so I want you to turn to Mark 8.38, and we're going to look at something real quick. I just want you to, to note, because like I said, we're looking with an immediate lens, okay? Lanny talked about this when he preached on the transfiguration, if you remember. And... Um, he says, for whoever in Mount Mark 8.38 is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You go to chapter 9, verse 1, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now look at verse 2. There's an immediate kind of, what I would say, a type of fulfillment here. In six days, Peter, James, and John are led up on a high mountain, and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, and no one on earth could bleach them. Reminds you of the revelation, but they're getting a, a glimpse beforehand. It's a type of fulfillment. They're getting a glimpse into, into the thing that's happening. And uh, I think Lanny cited, oh, here's the transfiguration. But he also talked about the resurrection. You remember? But then it also kind of has this future component. And we, I think we always have to kind of take all that into consideration. So why did I show you that? Because I think that this bridge between chapter 12 and chapter 14 is, is partially that. There's a type of fulfillment that takes place. And um, now here's the thing. You, now you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready. That's what he says. But concerning that day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man on this journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to keep and stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows. Okay, just stop there. There's a rooster crow in this story. 
the later part, the latter part of Mark. Oh yeah, I remember a rooster crowing. Really? Was it when somebody wasn't prepared? Oh yeah, I remember. So you just kind of have to. Okay. So or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. Anybody going to be sleeping in the stories coming? Yeah, you got to think about that. So I wanted you to stop and see it because I'm going to say about we'll talk about it a little bit more. But I just want you to keep that in your mind. So he says, stay awake. You don't want to be found sleeping. Okay? So, what have we said? We're said we're le- reading this. We're going to put on, when I come, we come back together in January, we're going to look at the future lens and the historic lens. Today, this morning, we're looking at the immediate lens. That's what we're doing. And in both cases, whether you, however you, in, I think you've got to, there's, there's certainly, you make some choices when we come back in January about how you interpret this. But today, as we're thinking about it, or in the future when you make all those other decisions, you still have to say, get ready. Stop slacking off. Like, why are you not always working towards being prepared? Like, you should be always preparing, always seeking to improve and become more and more aware of what God has for you to do today. So, that's, I want you to look at something real quick. So we'll look at Mark um, 14, 17. And, and it says, And when it was evening, he came to the twelve. So we have this idea of e- evening. And then you have this thing with, um, if we're thinking about Jesus' body as a temple, he is eating with the disciples. And he speaks of Judas, who like, you could say, in his state of corruption, in his place of like rejecting the Son of Man, Judas is going to betray him. And I would say, and you might say this is the weakest argument, it's going to get stronger, but I would say this is an abomination. It's an abomination. 14.21 says, For the Son of Man... Uh, goes as it is written of him but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed it would have been better if he had not been born it's an abomination it's taking something it's it's putting it's being in a state of sin and like sitting there dipping in the cup with the eternal son of god the presence of god you're in the presence of god there doing that now we continue on just thinking about what is going on. Jesus, again, has said, stay awake. If you remember, um, they struggled with this in the garden. So we're going to look at that real quick. Look at 1434 through 41. It is literally the same terms, the same words. You say, well, does that mean anything? Usually, usually we would say, context drives things and repeated words help us understand it so he said to them my soul is very sorrowful even to death remain remain here remember they're at night and watch and going a little further he fell on the ground and prayed if it were possible the hour might pass from him and he said abba father all things are possible for you remove this cup from me yet not what i will but what you will and he came and found them sleeping i just saw somebody yawning What's up with that? It's interesting stuff. 
Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Verse 38, watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then he goes away. What happens? Verse 40, and again he came and found them. What are they doing? Awake? No, what are they doing? Sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time. Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? They, they've just had this kind of what's called the, you know, at the Mount of Olives, it's like the, this discourse about, like, don't fall asleep, but, but be prepared. And they're with Jesus, and you're like, St stay awake. Watch and pray. The hour now has come. And so, they are sleeping. If you remember, too, we're not going to look at every verse here, but there will be a false testimony they say, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days, he will raise it up. Jesus is now standing before the chief priests and the scribes, and he's standing in the courts of the leadership of the nation. And he is facing the very thing that he has said, like, you will face. This is a tribulation of the highest order. While that is happening, guess who else is standing before someone in court? Peter. That little girl is speaking to him. He calls down a curse. He speaks as if he's like in, in the courtroom defending himself. All that's going on while this happens. So Jesus and Peter are facing that time of testing like he talked about. Be prepared for this thing. And if you remember, after taking an oath and calling down this curse... Guess what happens? A rooster crows. Oh, really? Just like chapter 13, a rooster crows? Am I supposed to see a tie between these two? Absolutely. It's a type of fulfillment. It's not the whole thing. But it's a type of fulfillment for you to see in the present um, what is going on. And like what I said to you, a bad example of how to... You see a perfect example in Jesus and a bad example in the disciples. So, after the tribulation, Mark 13, 24 says, the sun is darkened. You know what Mark 15, 33 says? And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness all the, over the whole land. You see how there's a bridge between the two? And in the ninth hour, Jesus is crucified, the temple of his body being destroyed. And do you know what happened to the temple there? It says that the, the, the veil of the temple was torn in two. Boom. What, what does that look like? It, there's something happening here that you can see and understand as you put this together. Suddenly then, this centurion, like while everybody's asleep, this centurion wakes up and says, surely he is the Son of God. Amidst all those people asleep. And then Jesus is buried. And everybody says, like, man, I, this, is a, this, 
has ruined everything. Let's go back fishing. But it's not that way because it's really setting things up for you to see that um, there's a battle that's been waged and a war that's been won with what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He waged war against death and Satan and sin and hell and all the back of all of those things are broken there. And suddenly what happens is he dies and rises and ascends and, and, and the spirit begins to, to move in people and he, he, he's, he's raised and then he is going to start awakening people and there's going to be this power on display of all that he has accomplished and all that he has done. And then we will be living in these times between the first and the second coming and Really, we're going to see all of this on display. And what we find out is the cross is, is, is something where God does deliver us from this present evil age. It, the cross is the means by which we are able to, in the resurrection, be brought to life ourselves. We get to go from sleeping to living. From Ephesians speaks about from death to life from being blind to being able to see, all of, from having dull ears to ears that kind of perk up about things. This is the, the reality of what happens as a result of what takes place. There's a transformation that takes place. Not just Jesus being raised, but we being raised with Him, awakened, able to see, able to hear, alive to the things of God. And the reality is, is there was this great battle that took place there. I mean, through all of the struggle and all of the trouble and through this tribulation that he faced, there came forth and emerged like life as a result. And so there's great comfort in this. This, this thing today, what does this help you with? What it helps you do is, it helps you see, again, that the disciples are not seeing clearly. But you want to say, as one of his disciples now, let me stay awake. Let, let me be awake. Let me be someone that is awake. God, with your help, let me be awake. I know that you bring spiritual life. I want to be awake. I want to be prepared for what you have for me. I want to see all of these things on display and know that your plan is working out perfectly. I want to walk in the power of the gospel. I want to pray in the power of the gospel. I want to live in the power of the gospel. I want to encourage others in the power of the gospel. I want people to be awake to these things. I want them to see and to understand and to live in light of all the wonderful things that he has done. So you might say, what does it mean to live like you are living the Christian life in a proper way? What, what does that mean? Colossians says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. What does it mean to be awake? It is to fix your eyes on the things above. It is to look forward to the coming of Christ. It is to reflect on the things that would give him honor and glory it is to stay awake to be sober-minded It is to constantly strive to do that and I, I was telling the boys earlier it's like as much as we might enjoy like outdoors this time of year some of you may really enjoy being outside 
and uh, going out, maybe hiking, you like that. Maybe you like hunting. Maybe you enjoy fishing. Maybe you uh, enjoy all different types of things. Some of you like that. Or some of you may say, you know what, I love to buy Christmas presents at this time of year. I love to wrap those presents. I, I love to think about the family stuff. I, I love the traditions that we do at our home. And I love all of those things. And those are exciting to me. And I, and I love the decorations. And you just go through a long list. And the thing I would say is all the time for us, is we don't want those things that are enjoyable, that are God-given, to lull us to sleep. Some of you, again, may bury your head in the ground so that what happens is, in your life right now, is you're constantly just listening to the voices that make you more and more frightened. And those are... So you're not enticed by the activity... You're frightened by the activity. And I would say, Jesus would say, you stay awake. You courageously live your life to the glory of God, setting your mind on heavenly things. Stay awake. Now, then he kind of tells us what that's like in Colossians. He said, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Now, you might have felt pretty good about what I've read so far, but then he says, put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the Creator. Live as people that have life, live in a way that would bring honor and glory to the Lord, focus your eyes on those things, and while living out whatever thing God has you doing in this world, you keep the heavenly focus and be prepared. Stay awake. Don't be like the disciples. Follow in the footsteps of the Master who was awake in his sufferings and he came back from the dead. Live as children of light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word, to read your word in context, and to come to understand it, to be able to be in a church where we get to study it together and remind one another of the wonderful things found in your word. We pray that you would move us today to embrace the admonition to stay awake. We know we fail in that, but we ask you to make us more sober today than we were yesterday. In Christ's name, amen.